Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you lovely listeners. Thank you for joining me this Friday, and today is jam-packed with tales. Well, more aptly, one creepypasta about mystery, vampires and cults, followed up like a creepylicious dessert with four poems, each with their own dark theme, and each with a unique spin to them. One of them also being a H.P. Lovecraft poem. Now, listeners, the first story is explicit, not for little ears. It covers content involving family abuse, sexual discrimination, and racism. Nothing too strong, but I also felt it pertinent for me to mention it, just in case. Alright folks, turn the lights off, the sound up, and get ready for something creepy. Rising Boreal, The Vampire Murders Thrusting me beneath your clothing, where I may feel the throbs of your heart or rest upon your hip. Carry me when you go forth over land or sea. For thus merely touching you is enough, is best. And thus touching you would I silently sleep, and be carried eternally. More than enough has been said about the winters in Chicago. Known for both some of the coldest temperatures in the Midwest, and as a home of historically infamous winter storms. The festive seasons, as a result, have been a point of heavy dislike and wondrous appreciation, for both natives and tourists alike. Despite a lifetime here, I could barely make any solid judgments to attest to this. My numbness during these times of the year have all just been too great. All thanks to a crippling seasonal affective disorder that always left me apathetic and tired whenever snowflakes fall. Always down when the thermometers go blue, but always at least somewhat stabilized when the leaves start to grow back in spring. Medication and counseling resistant, trauma and shame protecting it like Cerberus guards hell. All I could do was merely exist, and that was just on the course of my best days. Though everything changed since that day, since I encountered solace celebrations of the most wicked kind. I've been changed, haven't I? You've changed me, haven't you? All thanks to you. Because of you, I'm now left in fractured ruins, left with a strange boutique of mixed emotions, yet even with this dread and disorientation going through me, there still exists this morbid pining. Inside the sickest layers of my being, I find myself with an unearthly desire to go back to the icy warmth of rising Boreal. The Ainsworth Inquirer days were numbered, the end of an era just around the corner. I knew it, my chain-smoking boss knew it, and even the damn janitor knew it. Yet it was all business as usual with this dime a dozen community paper spitting out its usual garbled, tame local interest stories and obituaries. You had to still pretend everything was right or find yourself ostracized by your bosses and co-workers. The quiet stress could almost be measured by the foggy rise of on-property cigarette smoke. But this was a joyous time for me, as selfish as it is to admit. In the long term, I would be jobless, yes, but it meant I was no longer bound by the requirements and conservative expectations that come with a paper most known for reporting on Boy Scout charity drives. 
at the end of it, I was free of my professional chains. I could pursue an obsession of mine. Using my own expenses, the boss let me off to the crossroads of America, all to look into a series of murders that few even acknowledge. It was a quiet drive through hours, fields and fields with the occasional strip mall to interrupt it, lost in thought. And with a busted car radio, I dwelled existentially onto my life. A piss-poor child of an addicted mother who would have sold him for crack money if she could. A teenager who won a scholarship by chance and wasted it on a journalist degree he almost didn't get due to academic misconduct. A man's career, if died tomorrow, would have peaked with an awkward five-minute interview with a school board member. A barely stable manic depressive who was at the time throwing everything he could at a blood-sucking serial killer in rural Indiana. The Vampire Murders, as the Indianapolis Star coined it, are a series of strange deaths likely done by a serial killer. Victims went missing then turned up roadside on US highways to be discovered by some unexpecting passerby. Autopsies showed these poor bastards' blood were drained and their bodies almost perfectly preserved despite estimated time of deaths ranging from weeks to months before then. Veins could have been cleaned out by a damned brush from the look of it, and to make matters even more disturbing, this didn't seem to be done by any knife or medical device. Those were bite marks done by fangs. As terrifying as this is, and as much the victims deserve justice, that is not what brought me to investigate these tragedies. Because those gruesome killings had been on the down low. There had been no press conferences, public releases, or even the most basic of updates from law enforcement, local or state. Even normally greedy national and corporate media were avoiding any kind of reporting on the crimes. There were some online news articles at the occasional six-minute info dump on local news stations, to be sure, but as far for anything not minimal, there was a clear deliberate ignoring of the vampire murders. Normally, such deaths would be front-page news across the country with true crime documentaries already being greenlit. There had to be a reason for this, and I, in all selfish honesty, wanted to be the one to uncover this all before my paper tanked. In hindsight, I wish I had turned the other way and headed back home. Not like I could have outrun my own destiny, but maybe I could have had at least a few more good years before I came face to face with bitter truths and forbidden fruits. In the morning, I made it to the town closest to where the last body was found. Rising, body out. Checked into a hotel before daily routines began. As the sun went up and I got a clear view at the landscape before me, I was wordless at how different this place was from the surrounding areas and just in general how eccentric of an aura it gave. Lilies, roses and even sunflowers thriving at every corner, both in flower pots and on the grass, pine trees a sight only up in the northern states dotted the woods and greasy eras amidst the town itself. All in the dead of winter with snow and ice leaving a kiss on everything. These things had to be plastic, or I was misidentifying species. I shivered. Even the architecture of this place gave me a certain unease. Buildings, both homes and businesses alike, 
were made from picturesque bright red bricks, dark brown logs, and the whitest flattened woods one could picture. But all the while, there was almost something far too idealistic and quaint about all this. As if it was bright colouring meant to paint over blood splatter, a smiley face blanket tossed over a corpse. This beauty meant to hide something terrible. I pushed my cynicism aside and carried on. This uncanniness, this weirdness would have to wait. There was business to attend to. I often thought about the man who exists to me in only old, faint glimpses of time. My mother never told me directly what happened with my father. I had to pick it up from her slurred, drunken rants from across the years. Faggot. Candy ass. Sissy. Sodomite. When I was only halfway through kindergarten, she walked in on him in bed with another man. Kicked him out the same day. All photos she had with him in it were burned. Now all there is is fading feelings of warmth. It was all downhill for her mental state from there. My first stop was the closest shop to the hotel. The cashier was, to my luck, also the owner. A kind and jovial man who was very helpful and sometimes dodgy wherever questions arose about the odder aspects of the town. I quickly tossed the runaround side and went straight for the juggler, asking about the corpses that popped up not too far away. The colour drained from his face and the eye contact I worked so hard to establish was lost in a millisecond. He quickly but still politely pulled my requested souvenir, then showed me on my merry way, even giving it to me on the house. So no conversation over cards and cash could occur. This would become a running theme during my visit. Turned away by storekeeper to storekeeper and by passerby to passerby, I was already in a rut so soon into my trip. Perking myself with a latte, I decided yapping away was pointless and decided to make my way from that cafe to the town library. On my way, however, something caught my eye. Right in the middle of the town centre was this huge, unbloomed flower, roughly the size of a pickup, with vines intertwined with nearly everywhere in place and thing. The peculiarities of this were disturbing, as if I was witnessing the behaviour of an animal belonging deep at sea or miles into the jungle, something that ought to remain away from human civilization. Benches, support beams, walls, lampposts, and all one could imagine was latched onto it. None of the shoppers and families walking by seemed to even care. Accustomed to it all, I took a deep breath and pressed on to my destination. My father was gone when I came into adulthood. My mother was emotionally never really there. Maybe this would not have been so bad if there were any parental or authority figures in my life that could have held me up high. A delinquent and worthless son of a bitch, unlikely to accomplish much in life beyond pushing around carts for minimum wage. I know for the sake of self-love, I'm supposed to say they misjudged me, but now that I think about the cheated math tests, the fights I got into, and all those picked pockets, I wonder if they were right. That all good fortune was a fluke or all a part of a cruel joke. That there wasn't a place for me. Least, not in this world. A satanic cult. No name was even given for it, but they existed, and they spilt blood, 
1982 news article from the archives reported briefly about a paganistic cult in Boreal, broken up and arrested for sacrificing and killing four people at a local cave. Names of the arrested were not included nor of anything thereafter when it came to trials and sentencing. To add insult to injury, there was no follow-up from the paper that covered for the rest of its lifespan. I had been at it for five hours on an ancient desktop that must have been top-end tech back in 2002, and this was all I could show for it. I rubbed my forehead and then checked my watch. I had ten minutes left before closing. An announcement from the loudspeakers soon confirmed what I already knew. While jogging off from my session, fear overtook me. I was being watched. I checked my surroundings, my eyes tracking down two smiling men staring at me from a couple of bookshelves across the room. These freaks had unnaturally pale skins and unblinking eyes that made my spine want to pop out of my body. A sadistically gleeful smirk written on their faces. I felt like I was being watched by two deformed mannequins rather than any living, breathing human being. The moment was mercifully interrupted by a librarian telling me it's time to go in that classic annoyed tone. I nodded, then looked back to see the space near the shelves empty once again. For once, in what must have been forever, my compulsion towards this godless place came upon me through a common sense gut punch. I had to leave this town before it was too late. Later that night, I threw my things haphazardly into the back of my car and started to hightail it out of town. Didn't even bother to get my money back for the days paid for what would be unused. I barely obeyed traffic laws as I made it into the town's outskirts. That is as far as I went before fate reared its ugly head. I saw them. All those lights in the woods. Many, many torchlights in the distance to the left of me. I parked on the side of the road numbing myself to my own inner voices and headed out on foot. I pushed through many bushes and clumps of snow before I finally hit a man-made path. Those were not far away, those unseen devils calling to me in their mystery and danger. A mere minute later, I was hunched down in a bush. I started observing these velvet-robed figures grouped together and slowly, few by few, heading inside this cave. The same cave mentioned in the article. When there was only one cultist behind their congregation, I prepped myself and firmly grasped a nearby rock. In a flash, I was standing over the body of said man now with a bashed-in head. No matter where one falls on the debate of how human sexuality forms, be it environment, genetics, mixture of the two, or none of the above, I can tell you that my dad was not the first gay man in my family. My great-great-grandfather frequented an underground gay bar shortly after the depression lifted. A man he thought he was going to get lucky with turned out to be an undercover cop. Some months later, he was institutionalized against his will, then half-heartedly lobotomized, doomed to spend the remaining decades of his life in a home. I remembered visiting him shortly before his death in 2001. Even at that young age, I knew that I was witnessing a living tragedy. He had spent the better part of his life not as himself, but as a mental child who couldn't even control his own bowel movements. This man was once a lively and kind man, given a fate worse than death, all for liking guys. Maybe if he was white, he would have been given a slap on the wrist. The screams of that poor girl echoed through my mind, crying, pleading, and praying to God. He didn't hear her. 
pulling the ceremonial clothing from that body, I disguised myself as one of their ranks and got with them in time to bear witness to this horrible act. I watched a bearded man in a blue robe sucking the life out of this woman through these horrific teeth, right until there was none left. When she was no longer on this earth, the crowd gave a foreign chant that I did my best to mouth along with. A couple of mooks disposed of the body as the man addressed the crowd, speaking of strange things to his people, of freedom, superiority, and salvation from this cruel world. Then my cover was blown, if I even had it to start with. We have a visitor tonight, my children. My heart sank down deep and my body froze in place. I thought this was going to be the end of me. I expected the men surrounding me to grab me and put me onto the now crimson stained concrete slab. They didn't. Instead, a plain clothed man stepped onto the stage. I was in complete shock. Not just because it was the same man I thought I had just killed, but it was also an all too familiar, all too desired face from a lifetime ago. Damn. My father gave me an almost sickeningly affectionate smile, an unnaturally long snake-like tongue licking up the unnaturally coloured blood from his forehead. No harm or no fool it seemed, the mad priest gave a laugh before placing a warm romantic kiss on my father's lips. I could feel the emotional resonance from the act despite how far away I stood, my dad embracing his lawfully wedded husband of the winter times. I wanted to run to drive away and never come back, but the fanged fiends of this evil religion blocked all exits with their increasingly unnatural vitality. The priest stepped forward from his lover and faced the crown, and with a nod communicated that it was time. After praying some deities of old, he, oh, I can't come up with the words, Lord help us all, I can barely describe what happened next. There are just some sights, sensations and universal truths that the English language simply cannot do justice for. Horrible, horrible things that can never be truly rationalized and accepted by the human brain. In what fractured pictures of time that I can pull from my subconscious, I witnessed the priest do a metamorphosis that spat in the face of Mother Nature herself. He turned into something that was far too powerful to be a mere vampire. Turned into something far too beautiful for anything that two-bit American folklore could ever come up with. Before I lost consciousness, there was a noise emitting from my mouth. To this day, I can't tell if it was screaming or laughing. I remember seeing the flower before I left, that fauna from a different world, a different time and a different dimension. I don't know if I ran past it while running away from the cavern or if I saw it while being carried by those unholy holy men. But I know I saw it sometime before I woke up in my hotel room the following day. I vividly recall that it had blossomed to the joys and cheers of gathered locals. That it was glowing a celestial blue that seemed to be reaching out to the heavens itself. Its strangeness blessings, the falling snow like one might see inside the painting of a gentle madman. I swear up into this very day that I saw ghostly visages dancing among the snow-stricken sky that night. Mail has piled up at the front door. Phone calls have stayed unanswered. Without hesitation, I have cut off anyone who remotely cared about me. It was the best route since even if I tried my damnness, there was no way in hell I was going to be close with another human being ever again. 
Not after what I've seen. Not after finding out what I am. Sanity's sun will never shine on me again. I am left in a cold, growing shadow engulfing all peace of mind and homo sapien sensibilities. And all I did was scratch the surface about what is waiting for us in the wintry darkness. What dreams may come, what suffering too imaginable, and what pleasure too savage. And what familiar faces may already be frolicking in a garden of weirdness, all ready to guide me into the next planetary steps. There are very little ways out now. I can either allow myself to wither away into oblivion for the sake of some undeserving affinity to mankind, or I can take from the frozen olive branch offered to me by gods of eons, past, so that I may live in a new reality. Somewhere for the first time in my life, I may have a loving family. Somewhere I truly belong. A dark poem titled The Hollow Men, written in 1925. We are the hollow men, we are the stuffed men, leaning together, hempies fill with straw. Alas, our dry voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless, as wind in dry grass, or rat's feet over broken glass, in our dry cellar. Shapes without form, shade without color, paralyzed force, gesture without motion. Those who have crossed with direct eyes to death's other kingdom, remember us, if at all, not as lost. Violent souls, but only as the hollow men, the stuffed men. Eyes I dare not meet in dreams, in death's dream kingdom, these do not appear. There, the eyes are sunlight on a broken column. There is a tree swinging and voices are in the winds, singing more distant and more solemn than a fading star. Let me be no nearer in death's dream kingdom. Let me also wear such deliberate disguises, rat's coat, crow skin, crossed stars in a field, behaving as the wind behaved no nearer. Not that final meeting in the twilight kingdom. This is the dead land. This is the cactus land. Here the stone images are raised, here they receive the suffocation of a dead man's hand under the twinkle of a fading star. Is it like this in death's other kingdom, walking alone at the hour when we are trembling with tenderness, lips that would kiss from prayers to broken stone? The eyes are not here, there are no eyes here. In this valley of dying stars, in this hollow valley, this broken jaw of our lost kingdoms. In this last of meeting places, we grope together and avoid speech gathered on this beach of the Tumid River. Sightless unless the eyes reappear as the perpetual star multifoliate rose of death's twilight kingdom, the hope only of empty men. Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the shadow for thine is the kingdom. Between the conception and the creation, between the emotion and the response, falls the shadow. Life is very long. Between the desire 
and the spasm, between the potency and the existence, between the essence and the descent, falls the shadow. For thine is the kingdom. For thine is. Life is. For thine is the... This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. He stalks the inner being of time. In the darkest pit lurks the most ruined life. He stalks the inner being of time. He is alone and knows it bitterly true. I pity him, and can relate with his ills. For I too have lost much to his power. Oh, how I love to face this wretch, to combat him on a higher plane, to engage him at his titillating game. He reaches into my heart, and from out my desires he pulls my soul. Naked and alone, I cannot defeat you. Darkness, you desire to consume me. My tongue, you wish to preach your hate. You attack me, for you desire a vessel for your earthly work. Nay, I deny you this, but in truth what defense have I? To the divinity that swarms about me, I appeal, appeal. But what cold metal embrace do I feel? Wretch, craven, what business have thee here? I desire love, but it feels as though it is beyond me. Desperate, I pray for salvation from impurity. Nay, but still, salvation from inequity. For it is my falling short of your dreams that force you to force me to fall short of mine. And in dreams this wretch lives forever. For dreams are but distant wishes, hopes for a brighter tomorrow. And in these hopes darkness lurks, desiring to encumber he who dares to dream. To inspect and infect him, inoculate him with all the ills and worries of fear, and when the dirges of hope forgotten take their toll, he reaps, oh, he reaps. Up your back his fingers creep, and he shushes with a whisper, and you are alone again. Wake up, dreamer. There is no more time. Make real that which you seek. Then, and then alone, does the nightmare go away. The House Tis a grove-circled dwelling, set close to a hill, where the branches are telling strange legends of ill, over times so old that they breathe of the dead, crawl the vines green and cold, by strange nourishment fed, and no man knows the juices they suck from the depths of their dark, slimy bed. In the gardens are growing, tall blossoms and fair, each pallid bloom throwing perfume on the air. But the afternoon sun, with its shining red rays, makes the picture loom done on the curious gaze, and above the swinging scent of the blossoms rise odors of numberless days. The rank grasses are waving on terrace and lawn, dim memories savoring of things that have gone. The stones of the walks are encrusted and wet, and a strange spirit stalks when the red sun has set, and the soul of the watchers is filled with faint pictures he fain would forget. It was in the hot June time I stood by that scene, when the gold rays of noontime beat bright on the green. But I shivered with cold, groping feebly for light, as a picture unrolled, and my age spanning sight. So the time I'd been there before flashed like folgery out of the night. The Ballad of Loneliness With your life on the edge, broken and beaten by hunger, 
I solemnly made a pledge to treat you like a brother. You likened yourself to a sickness, that you were nothing short of a sin. Your name was Loneliness, and I was Tarin. One spiteful words, tossed around like a toy, calming you down took a while, but did my heart jump to joy when I saw a month-old smile. It had started to rain. With it, brought forth your curse. You were in agonizing pain from an outsider's source. With my best friend covered in wound and blood, I had not failed to give you my best. With warm tears, my eyes started to flood when I realized you had to be put to rest. In the light of a dying moon, I knew that I was your only friend. As you walked to your tomb, you knew that this would not be the end. And although you coexisted with strife, behind self-hatred, you were compassionate. You had lived a short life filled with neglect and abandonment. I cannot begin to imagine the pain you've been through. And although nothing has changed since, I won't and will never leave you. Good night, my little prince. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed tonight's set of tales. Rising Boreal, The Vampire Murders was written by Audrey Uwu, a story that I can't help feeling is inspired by H.P. Lovecraft narratives. The plotline where the main character discovers who they are, and more importantly, what they are, being that they ain't entirely human. Perhaps their own version of an Insmith look. He stalks the inner being of time, discusses concepts of fate, one's own timeline, the road to the end of life, and its meaning. The House, the tale written by H.P. Lovecraft, is about the passage of time, the world around oneself, and taking in your surroundings. The Ballad of Loneliness, written by Flaky Porcupine, explores isolation, angst, desperation, hopelessness, but also friendship. And lastly, The Hollow Men, explores the themes of futility. And that one was written all the way back in 1925. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, reach out to me via email on storiesfables ghostlytales at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player so you can hear my voice in your ear three times a week. Monday is always old-time radio remastered shows where I tweak and repair all the old-school audio to modern-day standards, whilst Wednesday and Thursday are my storytelling days. Lastly, if you think you're able to support me in what I do, visit my Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt and you can support me there via monthly donations. In saying that, I don't run ads and I never will. And I'll never use paywalls. I do this because I love it, and any love sent my way is greatly appreciated. Now for those lovelies that send the support my way in the first place, this is my time to thank you brilliant people. First up is my Ode Night Tea Titan, the always lovely and always majestic Queen of the Cats, Maya. Mate, I was on the verge of pulling my hair out the last two weeks as I recorded and recorded and constantly would pick up pops and clicks in my recordings. It was kind of like working in my own Twilight version of an old-time radio episode. I'd record, I'd go back and listen to it, and there was definitely no clicks in my pronunciations or recordings, but yet there it was. And I have to cut it out or redo the entire line altogether. Super frustrating. I couldn't figure out what the issue was, so I used D-clickers and Band-Aid fixes to resolve the pops and clicks. But it was only temporary, so I had an idea. To replace the connector between my computer and my Blue Yeti, then BOOM! At least so far, it's completely fixed. I've bought a couple of more adapters to ensure that I don't run out of backups, but thanks to you, my audio stress levels are zero again. Thanks Maya for your support. It means buying parts to keep my recordings clean are no longer an issue. 
So thank you very, very, very much. You're keeping me sane. <laughs> My white tea warlord, Lazarus Maximus, mate, thank you for your support, Dudio. And I've used your donations to fund the purchasing of both the D-clicking and specialized D-reverb plugins for my audio. Sometimes my room gets a little bit echoey as a result of where I record. And also there are clocks in the background that click and tick away. I don't mind them, but I don't want them obviously in the recordings. So thanks to you, I can use those plugins to cut them out without a hassle. Thank you immensely, mate. You're bloody awesome. Pages Smartus Illicentia. Mate, thank you for your support, Page. Thanks to you, I've been able to renew a license that I use for audio improvements and have been able to use your donations to cover some of the costs for upgrading to the next set of tools. I'm always looking at ways to improve the show, and as a result, you'll be hearing changes in the audio already thanks to your support. I've also been able to use Patreon support for voice modification software, which you would have heard in today's episode. If you, supporters, or listeners have any feedback regarding the voice changes, let me know. And thank you, Paige, for your ongoing support. And never forget that you're brilliant. And the peeps that put a bounce, hop, and a skippity pep in my step, my ogre enforcers I am lucky to have. Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo, Yokone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank you all, have a wonderful Friday, and stick with me Monday for more old-time radio from the Sherlock Holmes series, as well as a Wednesday and Friday set of horror tales. As always, mates, till next we meet.